0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Thanks Zuckets Friday, the regular IT news podcast from Computing. As usual, I'm Stuart Sumner and I'm more than delighted to be joined by John Leonard and Tom Allen. Uh, Fantastic. Okay, well, we're into the podcast. Uh, Let's talk about our weeks in the section we like to call forced banter. John, what's been going on with you? Any uh, allotment action?
1: Um, No, actually, no. uh, Nothing nothing to bring you this week. Um, I have been catching up with Line of Duty, series six of which started on sunday i'm not exactly sure good if I've seen I've it really advertised. It. it's fantastic yeah really really good um if you, well if you haven't seen it it's about this police anti-corruption unit um and there's loads loads of red herrings you can never really work out what's going on you know, till t- till the final one and it's always fun to try and work out who's actually bent who's being set up and framed was well, it kind by... of a is
0: it sort of a whodunity sort of a thing
1: it's it's a it's a kind of a, a cop series, but with a difference. Like it's not really a who done it. You you usually kind of know who done it, but you don't know the whole story because it, everyone's a little bit corrupt in certain ways, you know. So they're all they're all sort of slightly compromised. Um, other other great thing about it is the the police have even more acronyms than the IT industry does. You know, wow, that, that uh, takes some beating. It's it impressive. certainly does. So I'll, I'll just try out in a couple. OCG. Um. Uh, uh, yeah. Oxford College Group, no, organized crime group. Got the group. Oh, that's well done. An easy one. SCG, Special the, Crime Group. Serious crime group. I'm, I'm not sure what the difference is. Perhaps fact, just one that's not very organized. I'm, I'm not really sure, but is very. Serious. And
0: one that's not really serious. It's just like stealing sweets or just yeah, you know, be, being be. offhand be, yeah. to a to a doctor. That, that's, <laughs> that sort of thing.
1: That sort of thing. And the the new one for Series Six is Chiz. I'm saying that rather carefully. Uh, C H C H I S. C H I S. Um,
2: Covert Human
0: Henry, Ian uh, and Stephen
2: I was going to go with Chelsea Horses Incident Squad
0: (laughs) That's specific
1: (laughs) They're both really really close But in fact it's Covert Human Intelligence Source Or or Grass Or in other words someone who's going to end up dead within, Within one episode generally speaking
0: So my question is Is there a group to deal with In any sort of horse related incidents In the West London area?
1: I'll have to check that one out for yeah. okay. you, should I one you in, in
0: advance, John. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Well, that's that, that's fascinating. Tom, what's been going on with you? Uh,
2: a couple of not very interesting things. Um, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> you think it sounds so thrilling. Um, well, number one is my brother and I are selling our house. Uh, and he's been selling, because I'm not currently living there, uh, he's been selling all our accumulated rubbish um, from the last, well, from the last Twenty years or thirty years of childhood as well. Um, so Citadel miniatures, if you remember those, I like uh, the PlayStation what? PlayStation Two games, oh. things like this. Uh, so he managed to sell his Citadel miniatures or his, his lot at least um, for a pretty hefty sum. Apparently, those are really popular at the moment. They are, like, especially like, the vintage likewise,
0: ones. like the the old Warhammer sort of miniatures.
2: Yeah, like oh, board games. Um, those are going like hotcakes at the moment. Wow. Uh, and PS2 games, we had a, a box of them and sold them for about forty pounds, which was great. Uh, yeah. Apparently, people are staying inside and playing video games at the moment.
0: Who knew? Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I'm doing things like playing Warhammer and doing all those sorts of board um,
2: yeah, well, yeah, games. Exactly. All those Tabletop. things
0: are wildly popular. Very good time to sell them. Although yeah. you have just sold your childhood, which I think you may live to regret.
2: Well, I I did say to him like, did you keep any of the models? Because he was quite good at painting, and he said no, just just no. And I was like, why? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm certainly going to keep uh, one or two of the of the special ones uh, yeah. when it comes time for me to sell them. Um, the other thing is that uh, my girlfriend's mum, who we're currently temporarily living with, uh, got herself a VR headset, um, which, which was very unexpected. One? She just walked through the door one day with an Oculus uh, Quest Two, I've which is one of one the wireless ones. Yeah, uh, and it is fantastic. I am big fan. Uh, other VR headsets are available. Yeah, but yeah, this one um, is it's amazing.
0: Yeah, I I got one myself during lockdown um, uh, a few months ago and have been enjoying it. What what have you been playing on it
2: or Uh, experiencing? Ocean Rift. Ocean Rift has been a good one where you can just go to the bottom of the ocean and swim around and and swim with whales and things. Also dinosaurs. There's a dinosaur thing in there. Uh, One of the dinosaurs you can swim with is a Mosasaurus, uh, which for people who watch Jurassic World, you will remember as the massive crocodile thing that... uh, eight the Indominus Rex, right? At I, the thought, end. I, th- I
0: thought that was just uh, made up for the for the thing. No, no, that's, a, that, real that's a real dinosaur okay. it's
2: huge. None and, and it's freaky because none of the other stuff in the game attacks you, but the Mosasaurus does. In and VR, that can you be just, quite terrifying. You just sort of see its tail disappearing into the gloom and then suddenly you're dead. Oh. Uh, and you respawn at the bottom of the ocean. So that's a bit scary. Um, so if you want to know what
0: it's like being eaten by a prehistoric monster whilst vulnerable in the water, that's that's the go-to game. Yes,
2: but we've also been doing uh, uh, Beat Saber, um, yeah, which is classic. always fun to watch, uh, and Darius Star Wars games. I mean, nice. it's, it's just VR is made for these kind of things. It's fantastic.
0: It is. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I do, I do like a bit of VR. Um, brilliant. Uh, as for me, uh, not very much. Um, I'm going to cut this brief, actually, because uh, cut this short, uh, my my sort of forced banter section, because uh, we're, we're sort of decreasingly the IT News podcast and more the just chatting um, podcast. Um, nothing happened to me this week besides um, my football group, my regular football group, is getting together. It looks like we can start playing football again legally um, from a week today, which means having done nothing for a year, I've got a week to get in some sort of shape, um, to run around a pitch with a load of other old men. and and then probably get a hamstring strain in the first minute Um, so really this is a warm up for next week I'll have just played um, next time we record this and my whinging next week um, will continue from this so uh,
2: Uh, are you allowed to use walking sticks in the senior league?
0: Um, you have to, and some 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 of the guys use Zimmer's uh, few in wheelchairs. Yeah, it's it's there's it's no running at this level. It's uh, yeah, that's that's long behind us. Anyway, um, let's talk about some IT news. And excitingly, I'm going to start um, a fairly big story this week. Um, is Um, I think so. Uh, The Defence Secretary outlined the 2030 vision for the British military, Uh, lots of revamping um, going on there, part of the government's plan to um, just modernise and upgrade military capabilities. Um, So they published a strategy called Defence in a Competitive Age. I'm not sure what previous ages were called. Were they not so competitive? I don't know. Uh, That comes off the back of the government's um, recent integrated review of security, defence, development and foreign policy. Uh, which they're saying is the largest sort of foreign and security policy overhaul since the Cold War, Um, and it involves basically spending Billions and billions of pounds that we can't afford uh, across land, air, sea, cyber and space, in fact, uh, to enable um, sort of swift responses. So gone are the uh, days of massive conscription and obviously large armed forces. It's all rapid response um, these days. I'm sure you've all seen the figures of um, armed personnel, uh, army personnel um, being being cut, uh, being reduced. Um, So they said they're going to spend over 85 billion on equipment um, for the next few years to help the armed forces adapt, compete effectively, that kind of stuff. Obviously, that's going to support lots of jobs um the army is going to receive three billion to spend on unmanned aerial vehicles otherwise known as drones um and various other things um and uh, uh yeah and, and that kind of stuff so it's an awful lot of spend at a time when we um haven't actually got any money yes john what are
1: they, what are they going to do on the on the uh, cyber offensive front then because we've been hearing quite a lot about this sort of gr- slightly gray area you know when they're they're both defending and also reacting as they say to um cyber attacks by foreign powers.
0: Yeah, and obviously that's a really crucial area because um, any, well, I mean we haven't had a world war for a long time, thank God, but the next one is going to involve cyber warfare at least as much as it is um, conventional. Um, so they've said there's about a billion and a half to be spent on what they're calling a digital backbone, enabling the military to use um, data to improve decision making, um, and that data is going to come through the cloud and across secure networks that are resilient to cyber attacks from um, state proxy and ter- terrorist adversaries. Um, they say so, obviously well aware of the threats there. Um, but earlier i think it was earlier this month boris johnson said uh, talked about the need to advance cyber cyber capabilities um and to make sure Well, what he said that we um, that our adversaries are thwarted at every turn um which uh, i'm not sure is actually going to happen but um but at least that's um that's the plan um so they've announced a, a a new national cyber force um recently as well to counter threats from hostile nations targeting them digitally so yeah lots of um lots of plans there
2: so what about funding for cyber versus the traditional military how, how is that being split
0: uh, well that's i mean that's what i've just been saying that's um there's uh that was one and a half billion which is partly going to go um into that um, i'm not sure they've actually announced I, specific figures of funding that i've seen
2: yeah well i i saw uh, something about the standing military being cut in favor of cyber was that mentioned
0: Not, not that I've seen. Uh, Obviously, there, and this is something I've often thought: is they don't, you know, you you wonder how transparent they really are about the investment that goes into cyber. I mean, how much do we really hear about GCHQ's budgets? I mean, I think very, very little. Um, So, whilst there are published figures, I suspect there's a lot of numbers that aren't published that talk about personnel and um, funding for, um, for our, you know, not just cyber. They're keen to talk about cyber defence. We don't talk so much about our cyber attacks. We like to talk about Russia and China um, being the uh, hostile um, actors there. But, you know, I think we're pretty much a hostile actor depending on which part of the world you're sitting in. Um, so I'm sure there's lots of funding going into that kind of stuff um, as well. Um, but there's, um, there's this new national cyber force that they announced last year um, that's been um, operating for a while now. It involves GCHQ, MI6 um, and various um, armed services um and uh, apparently that's, that's something i think is quite interesting that's going to be permanently banned permanently banned permanently based in northern england um as part of the efforts to establish what, what the government calls a cyber corridor uh what anyone else would call just a you know couple of groups of um uh, of, of cyber organizations um across the region um and obviously that will have a support network of other companies and organizations around it as well and the idea is to drive growth in digital tech and defense um outside london which i think is uh, a very good idea
2: it's a laudable aim um yeah but yes uh, as for cyber corridor i think everything just has to have a punchy nickname at the moment
0: yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah it can't just be it can't just be called one thing it has to it has to be part of a yeah part of a corridor um wonderful i think that's um enough from me uh, who's up next I, th- I think it's you tom
2: it is me yes i'm talking about the global chip market um which is i would say it's an interesting uh topic it's not one that we cover huge i'm going to reserve judgment
0: confusing. until i've heard you how you present it
2: okay Fine. Well, there's been bad news. Uh, so, you know, take that, take from that what you will. Uh, there's been a fire at uh, a plant owned by Renesas Electronics in uh, the Japanese city of Naka. Uh, it was caused by an electrical failure, which ignited a plating tank. And in the end, it destroyed about 2% of the manufacturing equipment in the plant, which doesn't sound like a lot. But it
1: comes at a time when the supply of computer chips globally is at a pretty low ebb. So what's the effect on the overall market then from this fire? Is it a really huge factory? The factory itself isn't huge, but the pandemic has
2: caused this boom in demand for consumer electronics and also, unfortunately, a massive shortage of the chips used to make them. And that's because of the rolling shutdowns of manufacturing plants last year. So the chip market traditionally has a very long lead time, about 26 weeks between Uh, the start of production and the chips actually being ready. So we're still seeing the effects of those closures now uh, at the end of Q1 this year. One area that's been particularly hard is the supply of chips for the automotive sector, and that's through a combination of factors. Obviously, the plant closures last year didn't help Then there were power issues in Texas this year, which caused further fab shutdowns there. And finally, there's a drought in Taiwan where a lot of chips are produced, and that's compounding matters. You know, you have one of the biggest chip makers in the world, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing uh, Corporation, which is based there.
0: Yeah, it's it's the, and there's other shortages as well. Like for example, um, uh, Nvidia, the big uh, graphics card manufacturer, is, um, there's been huge shortages of its new um, uh, thirty series um, uh, of RTX um, uh, boards, which are um, used by. Gamers and, um, uh, and other sort of PC enthusiasts, but also massively used um, for uh, people trying to mine Bitcoin and um, other digital currencies. Um, and that's, you know, the fact that it's been bought up um, by, uh, by miners has caused a created, created a massive global shortage there as well. So it's not just chips. Um, there's a few shortages in the PC components market. Um, so you, you talked about um, supply of chips to the automotive sector. So is that one of the main things that um, Renesis does?
2: Uh, yeah, renaissance controls about 20% of the global market for microcontrollers used in cars, and when it comes to its actual plant in Naka, the one that had the fire, uh, about two thirds of the output from that plant was dedicated to the auto industry, so again it's bad news for the auto industry at a time when it was already suffering. Um, now, in a related bit of news, not directly related to the, uh, the Renaissance fire, but Intel has said it's going to build two new fabs in Arizona. Plus, it has new plans for plants elsewhere in the USA and Europe, which is all part of the company's effort to spread chip making outside of Asia. So, yeah, that's an interesting bit of, I thought it was an interesting bit of market news from the, uh, from the hardware side, which, as I said, we don't often cover on computing. Hmm.
0: I'm going to generously agree with you and say, yes, that was interesting. Uh, let's go to you, John.
1: I've also got a very interesting story. It's about search. Um, and you probably know about privacy oriented search engines like uh, DuckDuckGo and Startpage, um, which I've, I've been sort of covering over the years. But would you pay to actually use a search engine that was private um, if it gave you clean and biased results? and no ads. Um, Well, a Scottish startup called Better Internet Search, does what it says on the tin, I guess, is betting that you will. Um, And I spoke to the founder, who's called Gordon Povey, um, and his contention is that most search engines make their money through advertising and tracking. And in doing so, they kind of bias the results, which is certainly certainly true to an extent. But the the kicker though, is that um, for his new search engine, you'll need to pay for each search at the moment it's in beta and they're trying to work out the right pricing structure um but it's likely that one search token i.e one search will cost about one penny that's interesting it
0: it makes you question how many searches do you do a day
1: i was just saying saying Um, I i must
0: i must spend you know i'm i gotta do close to 100
1: yeah, I think he sort of worked out the average person, like 10 pounds would last them about three months. But for us, obviously we're on the, we're on uh, search engines all the time. I actually use start page, which is great, which is a sort of a Google one. Um, it, it's a kind of, kind of it, um, it's a private search based on Google, but I'm sure that us, you know, as um, as journalists, are probably not in the target market. We'd be actually skint if we were, if be, we were yeah. going to be using these things, but, um, Well, I'll sort of come on to this in a minute. Um, It's obviously going to be really, really hard for this thing to compete with free. You know, Bing is free. Google is free. Yahoo even is free. Um, Povey does point out that these services aren't really free, even setting aside the you are the product argument. Um, All those ads and trackers do use up bandwidth. And it's estimated that uh, between 25 and 40 percent of all Internet traffic is actually ads and everything that goes with them. They also use up CPU cycles, Um, we pay for those too. And they lead to slower services. Um, If you you take all the advertising out of the web, it's absolutely, it's it's so incredibly fast. Um, Then then again, you know, that's the business model. Um, Then there's the manipulation of results, which is based on personal data. So if you and I are both logged into Google, results from the same search will be different because obviously Google uses our previous searches and other things it knows about us to tailor the search it's pretty much um, anything
0: but... you type in is going to come back with a picture of a shed and an allotment
2: and <laughs> <laughs> a big pile of manure yeah yeah <laughs> um okay so i i can see the upsides for doing this absolutely you know it, it sounds like a, a good idea but still a penny a search does sound it it sounds ridiculous to say out loud but that sounds like a lot of money when it you does, consider how many searches the average person
1: does. It does sound a lot, I mean, again, he was saying that the average person does a lot less than we do, You know, maybe be sort of 10, 15 a day or something. But then it is it's obviously gonna be very, very hard to compete with something that is considered free, even if it isn't really free, as, we've, as I've just been saying. Um, but that's only one half of the equation because the other side is that you'll be able to earn tokens By searching for products in the shopping channel, which is being kept completely separate from the search. um, Or otherwise contributing to the search engine, perhaps by adding sources or directories to the to the default one, which is Bing, like a lot of the other search engines like um, DuckDuckGo use. And so the idea is that it will reward users with tokens for things that add revenue to the service and for things that cost, you know, such as a search. Um, you have to pay for that. Um, What it is really is just an attempt to create a different sort of economic model for the internet, um, one that's not so dependent on tracking and advertising. Um, Management of the tokens and the identity of the users is done by a blockchain called Partisia, which promises um, zero knowledge computation. In other words, uh, cooperating companies will be able to use personal data to to offer personal services, but without being able to read that data directly. which, if it works efficiently, is actually a privacy holy grail. It's um, similar to homomorphic encryption, which people have been trying to do since the 1970s.
0: Yeah, it, it, sounds, it, it sounds very laudable. I like the idea of um, trying to create a different sort of economics for the internet, that's that's great. And it does sort of, it makes any privacy advocate kind of put the money where their mouth is. It's all very well saying, crying privacy and crying foul with all these um, shady things that we know Google and others get up to. Um, it's another thing to actually say, all right, yeah, oh, fine, I'll, I'll pay for stuff instead. Um, that is it's interesting to see if it 's going to work do, is, is there going to be any any sort of response from, from Google et al are, are, are they sort of quivering in their palaces <laughs>
1: um, not yet i don 't think um, and obviously it 's still pretty early days um, and, and this thing is still in beta although they do plan to go live uh, later this year um, historically the the economics of these kind of projects have been proving really hard to get right and you know it 's trying to match the um the amount people are willing to spend with how much they could earn and still allow the the company better internet search to make some sort of profit out of it. Because um that's that's the general idea. Uh, um so there's going to be quite a lot of tinkering yet, I think, before they come up with some sort of final um costed uh, solution I, for that.
2: I remember using something similar. It wasn't for the same reason, of course, but back when I was a very poor student, um there was a browser that offered to pay you money to use it. Like you, you would do, a, you would search, and then you would gain tokens and things, and then you could you could exchange those tokens for vouchers and and that kind of thing for for different shops. Um, the problem with that one was a the massive number of searches you needed to do to actually earn anything substantial, and b the uh, uh, the search results themselves were just a bit rubbish compared to something like Google. So these guys are using Bing as their as their default engine. So I suppose that might not be a problem for them.
1: Yeah, they're using the Bing API. There have been a lot of these type of schemes before. I can remember one called Beans, which is around about the dot-com boom, you know, probably about 2001, which promised to do a similar sort of thing. And they do sort of pop up. This is a bit more sophisticated though, because it's also managing identity, and you know um the payment is all sort of handled by by a blockchain however you do still have that difficulty in in getting the balance right between costs and incentives and it's gonna be really interesting to find out how they actually manage to do this i should certainly be be following along and hope to um report on it when it finally goes live
0: yeah i think one of the other things they're gonna have to i mean certainly wish them well but i think one of the other things they'll have to cope with um is trust as well but people are going to have to trust that they're not that they're doing what they say and they're not because you kind of assume anything on the internet oh they're tracking me they're harvesting my data they're profiling me whatever they'll have to get through that as well people are going to think well i'm sure you're doing that anyway and you're charging me actual money so you have to get people to be convinced that you know that's not happening here mm. there's another hurdle to jump through
1: yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think i think people are getting you especially the, the the crypto crowd are getting used to this sort of thing where all that is handled automatically and so I, I should imagine that they'll be the early users. I mean, people who are interested in privacy and are also used to using cryptocurrencies. You will be able to change these tokens for cryptocurrencies in the future. That's the the, the plan at least. And it should even be possible to actually earn money. You know, if you hardly do any searches and you contribute and you do a lot of shopping searches, for example, um, you could even earn money. However, you know, that definitely remains to be seen. It'll be yeah, call, call be cynical, well. but I've, I've heard of, you know, earned money to do
2: this thing you're going to do anyway Schemes yeah. before
0: yeah yeah course, it sounds too you good have... to be true. Sure. and similarly there's all kinds of schemes you can sign up to on the internet right now for fill in all these surveys for money and you know none of it's none of it's real or you know you'd have to fill in you know spend several hours to earn 15 pence it's uh yeah not not really a great it's a bit like being a journalist it's, it's you know <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage it of anyone um Fantastic. Well, um, on that bombshell, I think that's about enough for another week. I think we did manage to uh, move away from talking about uh, VR and that kind of stuff, and what we've been up to, to get onto IT news eventually. So that's um, that's good. Besides that, thanks, John and Tom, uh, once again. And we'll be back once again next week with more.